Thank you, Lord, for this word. Just, Lord, unravel what the enemy has bound up. Unravel, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Unwind what he has twisted. It's what he does. The enemy twists. But I thank you, Lord, right now for the untwisting of the lies that have been spoken into all of our lives. Even the most holy of holy after Christ, there are still even tiny little things, twists within our theologies and in our philosophies of God. But I thank you, Lord, that as we keep searching after your heart and keep seeking you, that you keep untwisting what the enemy has twisted. I thank you, Lord, you are making the crooked places straight right now in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I could just keep going with the music. I still got the music going in my head, so I'm still moving, if you notice. But I move a lot anyway. Let's get right into his word. I told you that I wanted to get you to Hebrews 11, but last week I needed to, I needed to spend some time in Hebrews 10 because in order to truly understand the faith of Hebrews 11, you have to understand the steadfastness, the steadiness, the unshakable, unmovable faith of knowing Jesus Christ. That's what it truly is. It's an unshakable, immovable faith that we have in Jesus. But I want you to look today, we're going to go right into Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 1. God wants to say some things today. I'm just going to make a few points, and then I'm going to try to touch these as best as I can. And if I don't, then you've heard them said right now, right off the bat. Sometimes I get lost in it. And uh, with more time, we could get through it all, but we don't always have the time. So I just want to say some points. Firstly, God wants you to see through His eyes. He doesn't want you to see through your eyes. God wants you to see through his eyes. God sees the end from the beginning. You see right now. God saw you before you were born and he sees you on your deathbed right now. He sees it all. He sees your life. He sees the sum of it. He sees the choices you've made. And he's there encouraging you. The reason he wants you to see the way he sees is because he knows the choices. And also, check this out, because he's looking from outside of this natural realm, he's looking from the spirit, he also sees the things that the enemy will do to try to get you to move, to get you off your path. And you may not see him coming and you may not know it's the enemy. You may even make decisions. This is a bold statement. You may even make decisions in your life thinking it's God, and it's not even your mind. It was the, straight from the pit of hell, the devil lying to you. Now, as we stay close to Christ, that's why we need to stay close to him. That's why we need to stay inside of his word. That's why we need to be accountable to each other for that very reason. I wasn't going to talk on this, but just as I stood up here and prayed, and we've been talking about it in the Bible study, the very first sin, Adam and Eve, the devil came and he twisted what God said. We come to Christ, 
He has the Spirit of God upon him. He's going into the ministry officially. He was Jesus, and he's going to become Jesus the Christ. He was born a man, born human, lived a human life, and he's about to be ordained by God in the River Jordan and baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and it says that the Spirit drove him in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and the temptation was, you know the Scriptures, Satan twisting what God said. And Jesus responded back, not with his opinion, not with, uh, I don't need to listen to you, devil, not I'm stronger than you, not I'm better than you, not I'm higher than you. He just responds back with the word of God. The devil spoke word for word, the word of God, but it was a twist. It was out of context. It wasn't what Jesus was called to do. The things he was saying was trying to get Jesus to look at himself, to try to rely on his own strength, rely on his own power, meet his own needs. And he wasn't here to do that. Jesus said, I came to serve. And the devil tried to get him to become, try to make himself something. I know it's hard to imagine Jesus being tempted. We've, I've said that before. It's just as hard for me to understand today. But if he says, it, if the Bible says he was tempted, he was tempted. And the temptation was to try to get him into himself and do his own thing. You need to rely on the Spirit of God and the whole Word of God. We can't pick and choose scriptures we like. We can't pick and choose things in the Bible. We can't take the blessings of the Old Testament and the victory of the New Testament and forget the believing, the testing of the faith, the standing in the, in the gap, the, tr the staying confident, the staying diligent, the enduring of their faith through all that they faced. We have to remember that it's the whole thing, the whole Bible, the whole story. And there's a part of your faith that is so incredibly rewarding. There's a part of your faith that's so fulfilling when God starts coming through for you in your life. But there's another part of faith. That's not faith. That's the reward of faith. It is faith, but it's the end. There's a part of your faith that just has to stick it out, that has to stay steady. That just has to keep trusting. Because, let me, I'm going to make this statement. If it makes sense, it's not faith. It's only faith when it doesn't make sense, when you don't have the answers, when you don't know how you're going to possibly do what you know you need to do. When you know you got to stick it out. When you know you got to stay and you don't have the ability within you. You don't have the strength within you. That's when faith comes to life. That's faith. Before that, it's just weird stuff, mind over matter. And that will always fail. You try to beat the devil in your mind. Let me tell you this straight up. Let's go right to Jesus. You try to beat him in your mind. You try to talk, you know, tough to him and you will fail. Jesus didn't respond to the devil like that. He didn't respond. He didn't spend a lot of time with the devil either. Neither am I going to today. And we're not going to focus on that. But you got to know the word. You got to know the word and stand on that alone. And it will be tried and tested. That's when faith starts becoming real. 
when it's being tested. Before that, I said last week, I'll say it again, how do you even know you have faith? Because you say you have it? How do you know you're a good singer until you get on American Idol and Simon Cowell says, you're not? It's only when it's tested. That's when it comes to life. God sees our hearts with its thoughts and its ten- and intentions, right? Be, from a perspective outside of your moment and your reality in this time, he sees the enemy planning and plotting with your heart. He sees your pitfalls. He sees your desires. And he, the devil is working a path along God's path. And they're going to a destination. The Bible says it's the straight and narrow that leads to life. And it's the broad and wide that leads to death. Its end is destruction. There are two paths and there are two ways to see. And we need to know that God's view is from outside of this realm. And this is the next statement. Not only is his view outside, he wants, it is possible because the Bible tells us it's possible. It is possible And therefore, it's what we should strive for, for you to also see like he sees outside of this reality. And that's what I want to look into today. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Verse 2. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, ready, that what we now see, I want you to, whenever this word see comes up, I want you to imagine you are looking through something else. It's not through these eyes. You can put your hands down. But look what it says. It says, what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. God took something out of, outside of this realm, outside of time, outside of this reality, outside of flesh and bone, and created this place. That's where this world came from, outside of this. That means that God can see both. If he created this world from something that is unseen, from the unseen means that God is fully aware of what's going on here and what's going on behind the curtain. I want to just just talk a little bit today. We have this concept of the Wizard of Oz, you know, this, this thing behind the curtain moving, and God is behind the curtain. He's not the Wizard of Oz. But the devil's behind the curtain too. That's the realm that he works in. And This place that we live in, this natural place, this place right here, is not real. This is temporary. This is just a glimpse. James says it's just 
a wisp of air. It's a vapor. It's coming and going. It's fleeting. And both God being the eternal, the forever, and the enemy being made by God, he's not more powerful than God and he will lose. That's what the Bible tells us. But he still sees in that realm beyond us and he is orchestrating things beyond you. And when you start seeing things happening both in your world and in the world, those things that are going on are just puppet, just the, what do they call that? There's a name for that thing, dancing on the stage. Come on. The marionette, I knew it started with an M, marionette. But the Bible says, verse 7, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things, listen what it says, that had never happened before. God warned Noah about something that had never happened before. That means that God saw this world. He's looking from outside of this world. He's looking in. He sees what the enemy is doing. It says that every man wanted to do what was right in his own eyes. That's all he wanted to do starting from the garden. Once that spark of sin broke open, a flood of sin. But it says that by faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. What, what, what's that talking about? He, he believed God, he trusted God, he built that ark and he got in that ark and God protected him. He trusted that, you know what? I believe you, even though I don't see anything that it, it, there's no, there's not even, how do you even describe rain if you've never seen it? How would God even explain it to Noah? How could God possibly give him an understanding of something that had never happened before? And the point is, is that when you are trusting God, don't try to make sense of it because you can't. God's going to start pulling the call out of your life. He's going to start asking you to do things. He's going to start asking you to look differently. He's going to start to ask. He's asking you to trust him with things that are not ever seen before. And you won't, you can't go to God and say, well, give me the 10 step plan. Because all he's going to say is just build an ark. And the ark doesn't even make sense. All it is is a piece of wood sitting on the ground. How could you even get the concept of what was about to happen? It says in verse 27, continuing in Hebrews 11, this, I'm just cherry picking a few verses. It's a beautiful chapter. Encourage you as always to go and read what we're preaching. Go read through Hebrews 11. There's a lot about faith. It's just a little bit today. It says that it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes, two eyes. I'm just going to do two because everybody gets weird about this one. He kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Or he was looking into the unseen, it says. He had to because... 
what he was believing for hadn't happened yet. He had to. He had to trust God outside of here. And he can't try to, how do you try to do something yourself if you don't even know what you're going to try to do? He just knows God says, trust me, lean upon me. I'm going to do something. And you try to figure it out. You try to do it. You will not be able to, plain and simple. The Life Application Bible sums up Hebrews 11 with this. When we believe that God will fulfill his promises, when we believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet, can anybody identify in your time of faith, believing God, believing God for that spouse to be saved, believing God for that thing that you need in your life, believing God for the sustenance that you need, that bill to be paid, the strength you need to be healed, whatever it is. It's when we believe him, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet, that's when we're demonstrating true faith. When there's no material, there's not even, I said last week to uh, the band, just having a conversation with them, private conversation, and I said, you hear me say it a lot, you need to be a fool for Christ. And I'm still willing to be a fool. But I said, you need to say I'm willing to be a fool, but then actually be a fool. Now, the thing is, you're not actually a fool from God's perspective. You're only a fool by your own, and even, I said, even if I preach and the church thinks I'm a fool, as long as I was obedient to what God, I might think I'm a fool, and they think I'm a fool, but if I was obedient to what God told me to say, then so be it. You need to be willing to trust God to that place that, because, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us that they mocked and jeered Noah, and and when you hear those stories, it's because we can assume that. I mean, what would they have thought? when he was building that thing for 120 years. Talk about a royal waste of time in their perspective. I mean, it took 120 years, and if it took that long, you can can bet that he probably worked on it every day. And that's all he did. He believed God with no proof whatsoever, except that God said it. Will you trust God with what he's put in you? Will you trust God for what he can do for you with no proof at all, except that he's God, except just by looking around. See, the Bible says, and I, and I love saying this because what the Bible says, that there's no excuse because you can just look around and see God. So the proof is that we look, he says, that the earth was formed out of the unseen. What does that mean? It's significant that he says that and then goes into faith. Well, what is he saying? Just look at God's creation. Just look at the things he has made from the unseen and know that, okay, God's capable. And science, I, I love talking about science because modern science says nothing about God, but Truly, the old definition was the study, I'm going to mess it up, but it's the study of things and figuring out the, 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 the DNA and, and what, how things work to prove God. That was the old definition. 
And that's what it does. They can't help it. They're going to start changing the, the, the tune. Evolution's going out and, and intelligent design is moving in because the more DNA unravels, it's just too complex. And the thing is, when we look and we see what God has already done in your life, when you look and you see all the precious promises that he's already done, then when he tells you to do something that he hasn't done before and that you don't have strength for and you don't have a, the ability for and you don't have the resources for, then you believe him anyway. That's faith. Faith is not something that you really can do. Faith is not you grabbing a hold of something and, and, and trying to muster up. I said that some weeks ago, you can't have, it's not a mustering of faith, it's mustard seed faith. It's when you don't have the strength. It's when you, you can't hold on. It's when you just completely and totally rely on God. Because that's what Hebrews 11, without going through every scripture, and you guys can go read that and see that for yourselves, that that's what the chapter shows us, that they just kept believing him. Every single character in that chapter went through hell. And they kept going straight through it and came out on the other side. That's real faith. The best story of, um, for me I, that I love about, the, about seeing differently, about seeing with faith eyes, is Peter. And I want you to just to look at the book of Matthew chapter 14. And... Verse 22, I haven't preached on this in a long time. I've made some references to it, but this story is just unbelievable. And it shows us what faith is, what seeing is. It says immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Let me just read that one again. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Okay, you guys heard it. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they did what we would do and screamed. It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And it's significant that he said these words. It actually says it differently. It says, it is I in the New King James. But actually went and looked at the Greek. And really, you go and find other places in the New King James where it says, or King James, and it says, I am. I don't know why in that one, this one verse it was translated, it is I, but it's the same exact Greek words for I am. Jesus said, don't be afraid, take courage. And I love that the NLT did that research and put that back. I am here. Do you guys understand the significance to I am? It's the great I am. It is God. 
God was saying right then and there, I am. Moses went to God. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do. This is insane. You want me, little Moses, that has been out of Egypt now for 40 years, and the last time I was there, they were going to kill me, but you want me to go back there, and you want me to tell the Pharaoh to let everybody go. He doesn't need his million slave people to build his sphinx and pyramids. He won't need them anymore. You just want me to tell him to let them go. And by the way, when they leave, every, you know, all your jewelry and, and your best clothes, you're going to take that with you. All right, God, I, I, I'll, t- I'll take the job on. That's crazy. But what do I tell them? Who do I tell them that sent me? And he said, I am. I am. It was God just declaring. It, it, it actually means the existing one. I've, I've existed. I just, I exist. It, it's, not, it's outside of time. <laughs> He's outside of this reality. I am. I am beyond you. I see things from a different perspective. And what you don't know, Moses, but we know, because we can read the story in 10 minutes, but Moses didn't know living the story, is that I'm more powerful than that Pharaoh. I'm more powerful than the Red Sea. I'll just, if I need to part the sea, I'll part the sea, Moses, not a problem. I'm more powerful than whatever demon or devil that that nation is worshiping. I'm more powerful than that, than the greatest army on earth at the time I am. And here's Jesus. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. Verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Did Peter have the ability within himself to walk on water? Did he think in that moment, I think I've got enough faith to walk on water? Did he think, I think if I do this right, I'm going to be able to do this. I don't think he had any thoughts at all. I don't think anything crossed his mind whatsoever except this, Jesus. I think the water went out the window. I don't think there was a boat and there was water. There's just me and Jesus, and I just want to be with you. I want to come to you. I'm not going to try to show off to the other disciples and do something that they don't, they can't do. And I'm not going to show off to you, Jesus, that, I, that I, I'll show you how much I trust you and how much faith I have. He just put his eyes on Jesus. And it says in verse 30, Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and... He walked on the water toward Jesus. If you are looking at your situation, no matter what it is, and trying to figure it out, first of all, you'll never do it. There's no way he's tried to figure that out. He would have never gotten over that side of that boat. You can't figure it out because it's not possible because it's not from this realm. Water doesn't exist outside of time. 
This thing called water, it only exists as water in this reality. But Jesus, the great I am, the existing one, the one beyond this realm, water is irrelevant to him. It can be whatever. For him, it's a solid. Because he says it is. Because he decided it would be a liquid for us in this realm. If he wants to make it a solid, he can make it a solid. What can't God do in your life? If he decides that he's going to do something in your life, is God limited? Is there something that he can't do? In verse 30. Now we'll go to 30. But when, look at this. I want you to look with your natural eyes. Your natural eyes, they see the strong winds. They see the waves. And your goggles, I mean, he had put the Jesus goggles on. And he was fixated on Jesus. And this realm disappeared. And now all of a sudden, he's looking back at this place. He starts looking at the pile of bills on his desk. He started looking at his lack he started looking at his little strength. He started looking at this relationship or that relationship or he looked at his boss and he looked at his job and he looked at his 401k and he's all these natural things and instead he was terrified and began to sink. I've said this before. I want you to note something though. It doesn't say that he sank. Isn't that amazing? That even, there's a place in faith. It's not you telling the water that I'm going to walk on you. Because you can't do it. You are not greater than this earth and the natural. You came from the earth, you're going to go back to the earth. It's your eyes on Jesus and that alone. It is your eyes on Jesus that there's a connection that happens, a supernatural connection that happens, and you know that coming to him. And when you make that connection with Christ, I love this, that it says he began to sink. Because Jesus, you set your eyes on him, and when you take your eyes off of him, you will begin to sink. The moment you take your eyes off Christ, the enemy will try to start working in your life again. Every single time until you die. You need to know that now. I'm just going to keep telling you that. Jesus loves you. He's with you. He's standing right there. You take your eyes off of him, your mind will start being its mind again. As soon as you take your eyes off of Christ, you will begin to sink. I love that it's not instantaneous because God, that place in God, God's not schizophrenic. He's not like, I love you, I hate you. He's still there for you. But you're going to begin disappearing from that place that he's bringing you to over top over this world, over the things of this world, over the things that you can't do, the things you can't comprehend, you will begin. You're going to begin if you take your eyes off of him. But he says, save me, Lord, he shouted. In verse 31, Jesus immediately, and that's what he'll do every time. That's what he's doing to you today. Remember that Jesus is standing right next to you right now, and maybe you've already sunk. Maybe you've been sinking. Maybe your eyes have been off of him and on your problem and on the things and on the, the issues and on the wind and on the waves and not on Christ. And Jesus is right there today to reach out and grab your hand. And he said, you have so little faith. 
Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? So we see the connection that when we take our eyes off of Christ, what is he saying? He had his eyes on him and he started moving and then he started looking around at other things, started looking around at the realities. He looked around at his lack. He looked at his ability and that is the definition of doubt. Faith is not you thinking you are something or thinking I've got my life finally figured out. I can do this. No, it's Jesus. I can't do this. I'm a fool, that's water, and we don't walk on water as human beings. Maybe those lizards that run super fast do, but that was debunked, that man cannot, remember that YouTube video where the guys were running on the water? And they debunked that, that they put glass right below the water, and it was all fake. All these people were trying to do it, running into the, falling in the shore. He's like, if you run super fast, you got to run at an angle. It was this whole, like, he did this whole science to it and showed you how to do it, and all these people were trying it. It doesn't work. But that's because that's in this realm. It's you looking at your issue instead of looking at Christ. We need to stop looking from our perspective because it's short-sighted. It's wrong. That's not the vision he's looking for us to have. Just a few verses to sum this up. I just want you to take a Corinthians walk with me. Corinthians says a lot about vision, a lot about seeing. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 9 says, The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Do you know there are things that the Lord is doing in your life that he has a plan and he's moving and he's, he's putting this one in that position and, and even kings and even wars, stuff outside of our understanding. He doesn't need to tell you and he might not tell you anything because it says that if the rulers of this world had understood it, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. If they had gotten wind that their triumph in killing him and putting him on the cross was actually a hidden victory behind the veil was a victory. The Bible tells us clearly, it's not my opinion, that they wouldn't have crucified him. But verse 9 says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's not in the seeing. It's not in this natural place. It's not, you will not see it. You will not understand it. It's not going to make sense. We see failure, God sees victory. We see failure and defeat, but through God's eyes, his plan is actually working. Even your defeats. Isn't that incredible? Who has felt defeated following God at times and wondered where he was? And God was actually working on a victory. Your defeat was actually the death, you ready? 
of something that God didn't want in your life anymore. And you thought God took it away. You thought God was punishing you. But God was actually just killing something that needed to die because he was about to raise you to life with him. Isn't that incredible? Just quickly, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, it says that the veil is taken away. And see, I told you that it's possible to see his way. He doesn't need to show you everything and you might not understand what's going on in your life. But it is possible to see with his eyes. And just because we can see with his eyes, I want to say that doesn't mean he needs to tell you everything because he might not. But it's possible to see differently. He says that the veil is taken away. Verse 17, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see. If you've had the veil removed, you can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just a few. I'm just breezing through these because they're so good. I'm just walking you through. Verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news and they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God tells us clearly that there is a blindness and there is a vision. There is a blindness and there is a seeing. The blindness, right? The world is walking around. They're not physically blind, are they? But they're blind. And what is it? What is their blindness? Them trying to do their own thing. Very simply, the simplest definition of their blindness is trying to figure life out on your own. Just trying to do it your own way. That's the simplest definition. Without touching any sin, just looking at things in the natural and trying to figure life out. You don't need to try to figure life out. Isn't that a relief? Such a relief. We should just take a big breath from that. We don't need to figure it out. God's got to figure it out. You don't need to try to figure your story out. You know, all this, you know, what about this and what about that? And how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Just take a breath. Close your eyes. Okay, Lord, you got this. Uh, and isn't it ironic that when we, we want to get intimate with the Lord, what do we do? Okay, look at my eyes. I'm going to close the natural eyes. I don't want to look at this place. I don't want to get distracted by the things in my office and the deer head on my wall and start thinking about bow hunting again. That's what happens. That's why you close your eyes. Distractions go away. You look differently. You look, you put on spiritual goggles. These eyes are irrelevant. It's a different way of seeing. And then Corinthians, it says in, in verse 18, it says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. This is your scripture, guys. This is the one for this week. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. We don't look at the things seen. 
Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. How is that even possible? How do you look at unseen? Ready? Like this. You don't look here. That means that, okay, God, this is real faith. You're telling me to do something. You're telling me to believe in you, even though I've never seen you physically. You're telling me that you went to a cross, but I technically wasn't there. So I'm believing that they wrote it down truthfully. You're telling me that there's a try, try, wow, you know what? He's a trinity. I was going to try to say some other word. I don't even know what's coming out of my mind. But he's a trinity, and you're telling me these things in the unseen and that there's angels and fallen angels. We've already come to believe these things without ever seeing them. So now why are we trying to see every little thing in our life before we believe it? Before we'll let faith be real, we want to see the proof. We want to know. We want some assurance. This is what we do. We give God a little bit of faith, and we want a little assurance back. We want confirmation. God doesn't owe you a confirmation. Now, it's amazing when he does. I love confirmations. But faith is not confirmations. It's actually not seeing anything. It's just believing that I don't care what it takes, how long it takes, what it looks like. I will believe you no matter what. So for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Let's stand. God's trying to get us to see differently. He wants us to see with his eyes from his perspective. And I get it. I'm human. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you. Then I need to see things from his point of view. It's very different than mine. And this is how I'm going to do it. And I want you all to do it right now. My eyes are closed. Just put your hands towards him. Jesus, today, we want you to be in control. We want you to lead. We're fixing our eyes on you, and that means that we're looking past this realm. We're deciding to not look at the natural things of this world. We're not going to look at our failures. We're not going to look at our past. We're not going to look at the things that we don't have or we can't do. But I thank you, Lord, that when we fix our eyes on you, the natural becomes irrelevant and we walk with you. And that's the whole goal, to walk with you. You don't walk in the natural. You come to us and you try to get us out. And I thank you, Lord. That's what we're doing right now. We're giving it to you, giving you the reins. We're trusting you, putting our faith towards you. And I thank you, Lord, that it's activated today and it's becoming a supernatural thing in us that's going to take us where God is trying to get us. In Jesus' name, amen.